Welcome to the Leadership Hour with Steve Arabato and what do I sound like some DJ on the radio in the <laughs> 70s uh, with my colleague Mary Gambit. This is in fact now known as the Leadership Hour with Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba. Did you notice that? Yeah, I think it says with Mary Gamba, nice and tiny now. But as we continue, maybe it'll get a little bigger. But Hold on one second. Speaking of leadership and sharing credit, whose idea was it to put in the logo with Mary Gamba? It was yours. I'm just saying. I'm not looking for credit. I'm just saying that great leaders share credit. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. And we do some good stuff here on the Steve Adubato's Leadership Hour. With Mary Gambit. By the way, before we move to our friend, Phil Alonji, who knows more about media and leadership than just about anyone I know, except for John Servideo and Neil Shapiro, who are our other bosses that we have to pay deference to. Mary, could you tell folks how they can find us other than on the radio on AM 970? I would love to. They can find us on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD. That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter, at Steve Adubato. They could subscribe to our podcast to hear this and other podcasts. That's at Apple Podcast, and as well as on Google Play. And lastly, they can go to our website, stand-deliver.com, to get a whole bunch of free articles, learn more about your books, and some of the other great stuff that we're doing there as well. Thank you, Mary. So one of the things I, I always say I love about the Leadership Hour is not just the chance to talk about leadership, to write about it in my books, to do the seminars we do every day, is to learn about it from other people who have a different approach to leadership and are quite successful in their field. And in all seriousness, we're about to talk to a longtime friend of ours, a colleague, someone who is up and coming in the business and one day is going to have an even bigger portfolio than he has today. He's Phil Alonji. He's the director of program development at the great NJTV. That is the official public television station in the great state of New Jersey and executive producer of NJTV News with our wonderful colleague, Mary Alice Williams. How you doing, Phil? I'm doing great. It's great to be here on the Mary Gambit Leadership Hour. Thank you very much, Phil. That has a really nice <laughs> ring to it. Can we cut Phil's mic? <laughs> hey, Phil, I got to tell you, you and I have known each other for a while. I watch you lead from a distance. We've had to deal with some things together, but I want to get right into this. If you were to describe your quote unquote overall leadership philosophy, Phil Alonji, what would it be? Wow. You know, so this is public media, so you, you guys are familiar with this. We have to be scrappy, right? And especially in New Jersey public media, I think we all wear a chip on our shoulder that New York and Philly media outlets just simply either can't or won't give New Jersey the attention that it needs. And this is the greatest state in the country, and we have really complex business and political community, and there are so many quirks for those of us that grew up and continue to live in New Jersey. I think that style has informed a lot of leadership. I have a, you know, an unofficial motto that I have up on the whiteboard here in the newsroom that says, yes, if. Basically what that says to everybody is that there's two answers to any question <laughs> or any challenge that I post that there's yes or there's yes if. And I think just knowing that no isn't in the vocabulary. And if I ask for something and if it's yes, if I have another week to do this, yes, if I get this piece of equipment, yes, if there's this extra resource that we have, then we can accomplish it. And then let me make the decision about whether we're gonna add that to it. And I think that has really helped instill a pragmatic approach to everything we do, that you find a solution to take on that task versus just saying it can't be done. Phil Longy just blew my mind Well, with I was this. just gonna yes. say though, he, you have young kids though, right, Phil? Not working on the news well, team, they're professionals. Well, no, at home, at home. Yeah. I'm curious <laughs> if you actually could use that same leadership philosophy at home, yes, if, because I'd be very curious to know if you can use that with the kids. <laughs> Because yeah, I think I sometimes that answer is no. From my three-year-old daughter. 
Oh, right. really? No, no, I'm kidding. But oh. uh, so I'm, I'm only in charge. Wow. I'm only in charge of my day job. When I get home, it's clear that I'm fifth out of five. In the okay, household. got it. Same here. But Phil, let, let's get into this a little bit more. The whole yes thing, meaning Mary and I have had this conversation before, and you may know this, Phil, but for you and everyone else, I've said this before, Mary and I have worked together for 19 years. Let's just say this. One of the reasons Mary is the success that she is, is the leader she is, gets paid what she does, even though she's underpaid, is because her answer is yes. Her answer is yes to virtually any challenge that comes up. Anything that adds to her plate, she will share what is on her plate. But her attitude, operative word attitude, is, hey, how can I get this done? We can get this done. But, Phil, how the heck do you deal with the fact that, let's just say Mary and I have worked with some others whose first instinct is? No. <laughs> no. 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 Let me tell nope, you why nope, I can't do can't, that. No, I've got hard. a lot on my plate. No, Too much. can't do it. That's, I'm, I'm sorry. I got a lot going on. What? And I get frustrated, <laughs> and sometimes I don't handle it well. Mr. Phil Alonji from PBS in New Jersey, who got a great management and leadership style, how do you deal with no? Honestly, I've dealt with no all in one fell swoop, I think. I, you know, I took over the show as EP probably six years ago now. This is uh, uh, the Nightly was, News. This is NJTV uh, right, News, the News with Mary Alice Williams. Go ahead. Yep. And our operating budget is a lot lower than other comparable size newsrooms. Public media, like I said, we have less resources, and we need to make sure that we, we make every dollar count. I have super low turnover now in 2019. I mean, it's very rare that anyone leaves. The first six months, there was a decent amount of change, and I think it was weeding out and starting a new culture of YesF. But a lot of the no people just didn't cut it. And from that point on, I've really relied on the leaders in respective departments to kind of set that tone and make this, this is what the culture of this newsroom is. And when you come into this organization, you start off with a YesF philosophy. And it's across the board from the top down. Everyone kind of has that same mantra stuck in their head. We should also disclose this, that our production company, the Caucus Educational Corporation, been around for 30 years. That's because I'm old. <laughs> We've been in a lot of different studios over the years, worked with some terrific people. But our home, our studio home, is at NJTV in Newark, New Jersey, and also in New York at WNET at the Tisch Studio. WNET is, in fact, the parent that owns and operates NJTV. But here's my point, Phil. We've worked with your people. We could not do what we do if it were not for your people. From your director, Alvin, who's absolutely terrific, to everyone else on that team, they also have a can-do, yes-yes attitude when people walk into that studio. Were those people like that when they came in, and or did you have to get some, if they're not no people, they're on the fence people, not sure about their attitude, Phil, and you had to get them to yes, or do you only hire yes people? That's a good question. We're split up into a couple different departments. There's an editorial department, a production department, an admin department, and a digital multimedia department. And what we've done here that's worked well for us is put seasoned veterans and seasoned professionals in those leadership positions. I got to be quite frank, most of the people in the newsroom in each of these departments, this is either their first job out of college or maybe second job. And I like that. I prefer, especially now having firsthand experience with it, if you have a small number of seasoned veterans that can steer the ship when there's things that experience is vital, and then have a bunch of people that are hungry, 
and don't have any bad habits developed yet <laughs> and are looking to make a name for themselves, it's, it's paid dividends to us here. Sounds a lot like Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, Mary. He said that organizations are like buses that need to go in the right direction at the right time for the right reasons to get to the right place. Phil Alonji at NJTV is the bus driver. Collins said, put people in the right seats to succeed. Is that what we're talking about, Phil? Yeah, I like that analogy. Mine is a little different, but maybe that one's better. But I, I look at it almost as I'm not driving the bus. I'm trying to make sure that I give you a bus with a strong engine and comfortable seats and put seatbelts in there to protect you and everything else. And the people that are around me know more than me in all of their respective areas. And I'm not afraid of that. I'm not threatened by it. I think that's an important part of leadership that my GM, John Servideo, taught me when I first got the job is don't be afraid to hire people that know more than you. My job is really just to create the environment for everyone else to succeed. I end up taking a lot of the credit for it because I'm at the helm, but I also make sure that I take the heat when something doesn't go right. But if I'm doing my job appropriately, I'm not producing segments on the mm -hmm. show. I'm not producing the newscast. I'm making sure that the people that are in those jobs, I get out of their way and I create an environment where they can succeed. Hey, Phil Alonji of NJTV. Phil is the director of program development at NJTV, also executive producer of the great NJTV News with... Talk about an iconic superstar in our business, Mary Alice Williams. Let me ask you this. This is the Leadership Hour with Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba. Phil, have you ever had to fire someone? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't want you to think that I'm counting scalps on the wall because it'll sound terrible, but this just came up last week, so I happen to know the number. Ouch. And, uh, and I Ouch. Was shocked. I was shocked to hear. It was, it's about 18. That you and personally whoa, fired? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Face um, to face, you've done 18? Face to first. Yeah, yeah. So I would say two-thirds of those happened in the first two years and only six since in the last four. And, you know, a lot of it was just culture changes. We changed up the show. With, there's no secret that broadcast is an older model that we need to make sure that we're paying attention and getting our content on through digital platforms and all of that stuff. So there was some turnover. How about performance-related? That's the thing that's on my mind. Yeah, most of these were performance-related. <laughs> you know, just people that weren't bought into the SF culture yet more weren't ready to take on the challenges that were coming up, and it was for the best of the organization. But was it hard for you? I remember you? very clearly, yeah, they're, they're always hard. I mean, maybe some of them are easier than others, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, if I was being honest. But the very first one I did, and I obviously won't disclose who it is, I remember starting the conversation with, hey, we're having this conversation because of you did X and Y, and this didn't work. And then there was a response of, well, this is why. And then we got into an argument about it. And then I bring up a second point, And there was another defensive <laughs> argument about the second point. And John. Jeez, I can't relate to any and, of this. But no. <laughs> yeah. Right. John stopped in the middle and goes, excuse me, let me just say that you're going in circles. By the way, we should disclose John Servideo is the general manager at NJTV and also all of our respective, the leader of, of our organization on the, from the hierarchical point of view. Actually, Neil Shapiro was on with us recently on the Leadership Hour talking about these things as well. So go ahead, pick it up from there, Phil. Yep. So I was going to say, so he, he just stopped us and said, you're going in circles a little bit. Can I just suggest, Phil, did you have something to say? And I said, okay, we're terminating your position. And that stopped the argument. It stopped the conversation. And when <laughs> what? I out Where's of the, room, the guy going to go from there? <laughs> um, right. When we, when we walked out of the room, John said, look, he says, my advice, he says, this will get easier. And I don't mean to, you know, to sound crass about it. But after you say your position is being terminated or you're being relieved or however you say it, 
nobody hears anything after that. They hear their job is done. If you start off talking about their deficiencies, it sounds like this is another performance correction thing, and wow. they're going to defend all of their things. But if the decision's made and you just bring it up right in the beginning. <laughs> so your meetings right. are I a mean, lot shorter now, right? You, <laughs> oh, you sit them down. Now it's, <laughs> Here, here's an yeah, envelope. I mean, I, and goodbye. Yeah, and, it, and it's, yeah, you, you know, you can show empathy and you can, sure. you, know, you can say that, you know, you've been on both sides of that table before and that nine times out of 10, this works out better for both parties in time and you're not trying to ruin anybody's lives. But I no, mean, if you have something to say, you've made that decision and determination is there, then it doesn't need to go a half an hour or an hour. You know, there's no point of, you know, kind of re-litigating all of these things. Just say, this is what's going on. So now it's, you know, hey, look, this is not a good meeting. We're here to tell you that your position is being terminated. We're sorry it didn't work out, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, it, you know, it, it ends a lot of that back and forth. Got a couple more minutes with Phil because I want to be sensitive to his time because he actually is running an organization <laughs> every day. No, I'm not. I, I already built the bus. Now the bus is already out on its route. Okay, don't, don't do say today. that stuff. Don't tell my boss. <laughs> I, I won't. But by the way, I always, I'm always, Phil, I had this whole thing that I've been teaching in my leadership seminars, the difference between activity versus impact. People say, you know, I work 16 hours a day. I've got a million things on my to-do list, and I, I'm, I'm just busy constantly. And then there are other people like, yeah, well, let me talk to you about what I got done today and what the impact of what we did was together with the team. And they seem not to work as many hours. And I'm not saying you can just get it done in two hours. All I'm saying is this. There's a big difference between being busy with a lot of activity versus having great impact. And Phil seems to be able to manage time well and have great impact. So that being said, here's my question. You and I are both aficionados, my friend, not only of the New York Yankees. And by the way, I was looking for this last night. There's a picture of Phil Alonji and I. Phil is actually uh, also a trained opera singer <clears throat> who has sung in a whole range of professional top level, top notch, traveled around the world operas. Fair to say, my friend? Yes, but if we're going to talk about opera, I need to get my agent involved in this appearance. That being this said, a whole different person. <laughs> before you do that, there is a picture. Phil, if you can find this, send it to me. Yankee Stadium. Mary's a Yankee fan as well. Phil and I love the Yankees along with Neil Shapiro and, and Savidio, John Savidio. Did we or did we not sing at the top of our lungs, God Bless America, middle of the Yankee game, middle of the seventh inning Yankee game? Did we? Was or was it not bourbon-induced, I feel like? Uh, not that last part. Could you, Brian, could you edit that last part out? <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say you did it in, like, the fifth inning. That no, would have no. been impressive. But if you're doing it along with everybody else, Hold I on. mean— it was on we the it was on the arm. big screen. Phil, fill her in. Jumbotron. Oh, no, you're on the Jumbotron. Me? You told Phil, me this. Yeah, Phil, please send it. Please send it. It was, so. our, it was our giant Sicilian heads. I don't even know if you're Sicilian. I'm just going <laughs> to I'm not, I'm not Palatan. Was, I'm from Naples. Stop it. Okay, all right. I'm half and half. Half, half Napolitan and half Siciliano. But, yeah, we were singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Apparently, oh, the camera was fixed right on the two of us, and it? we were up the Jumbotron. Can't make You've it up. you never told I mean, me this. No, that, that, and by the nobody, way, there's, there's, go ahead, Phil. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I'm the behind-the-scenes guy, so nobody knows who I am. But right, the by the way, Phil Steve is six foot five. the Mary Gamba no, leadership no, no, no. He's six foot five. He's got this incredible voice. <laughs> I was just, like, standing next to him, mouthing the words. Hey, listen, Phil, there's a reason I mention this. Not just because your family's half from Sicily and half from Naples, and my family's all from Naples. But Phil is an aficionado, not just of the Yankees. Trust me, it was a point to this, but also of the Godfather. Now, why do I bring up the Godfather in the context? <laughs> of the Leadership Hour. It is because Phil has read every chapter in my wonderful book, Lessons in Leadership. And one of the chapters is, in fact, everything you've ever needed to know about leadership in The Godfather. Phil, am I not correct that some of your leadership approach 
has come from what you learned from watching Godfather 1 and 2. We will ignore <laughs> Godfather 3, my friend Phil Alonji. I didn't even know there was a Godfather There first. was not, and we both know that. Hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, not only my leadership, but my negotiating, too. There's a, <laughs> there's a clip. I don't, did I ever show you the clip from Godfather 2 when the senator goes into Michael's office? My offer to you, out. Senator, is senator. nothing. Yeah, exactly. My offer, go ahead, pick it up. Pick there's it up from there. There's a 20-second clip that I use. I have it saved on my desktop. We ripped it from YouTube, and I put it on there. And when we're going through negotiation with a new vendor or something and we don't get a, <laughs> a satisfactory response, I send just a clip. I'm not kidding. I've done this a couple times with no text and email. <laughs> just send a link that has Michael saying, you can have my answer now if you'd like. My offer is this. Nothing. Not even Not the even application the, the, fee, the, which the I would appreciate if you personally. <laughs> <laughs> and I sent that out. I sent it to a vendor where within 20 minutes they said, out, we're right on this. And then I, the next day I got a positive result. They thought I was kidding, I think. But also, it was very clear Mary, that we're not see? negotiating this point. <laughs> I, mean, tell, I see Mary. that you guys are both losing your minds. No, Phil, I told Mary that I, we had to tell our publisher that I wanted to do a chapter on The Godfather. And they're like, no, you can't. I said, are you serious? <laughs> Maybe you don't know the movie. Everything you ever need to know about life and leadership, sure. negotiating. But here's the thing, Phil. Did Senator Geary, and I don't want to belabor this, Senator Geary showed disrespect to Michael Corleone, did he not? He did. The senator tried to squeeze Michael Corleone, who was a criminal, we acknowledge that, in a very nice suit. But um, the senator tried to do something that was unethical and disrespected him and disrespected Italian-Americans, and the senator <laughs> got his response. And in the right. end, Michael Corleone won. So beyond that, I'm when, sorry, Phil. Go ahead. Yeah, when we're done, why don't you send me your publisher's info, and I'll renegotiate that chapter of the book for you. <laughs> oh, it's in there. Isn't it, it in no, there? No, no, it's in there. It's yeah, in there. It's and in the, there. It, the only thing was he left out the horse's head in the bed, but I'll leave that alone. We're now we're now prolonging every stereotype about, about Italian-Americans from New no, Jersey. No, no, no. No, listen. So we can we take out the crime part for a second? It is the lessons. By the way, Phil and I, we overpay our taxes. We are nothing but good, honest citizens. But we appreciate the movie for the lessons in it outside of the crime. But I'm going to ask you one more thing. Absolutely. I have had a tendency over the years, Phil, you've never seen this. By the way, it's so interesting. Phil was talking about negotiating. We had to just negotiate a bunch of contracts with Phil, and I'm so glad he never played that tape oh, from goodness. Senator Geary and Michael Oh, Corleone. you know what's going to happen in the next five years? And when it does, Phil, you better copy me on that email. Okay. So, Phil... I have, you've never seen this, but every once in a while I have um, shown a degree of emotion in my displeasure with the situation. Let's just say that Deepak Chopra would not be proud of my demeanor. Brian Brodeur is laughing in the studio here. I've been overly emotional. How about you, my friend? <laughs> I think I, I feel like you're you're leading to something very specific that you no, 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 in the no, last no, couple no. of weeks. I'm not talking about particular. No, no. There are, excuse me, Senator. The things we will not talk about in public. Never, never, right. never talk about family business outside. Talk about business outside the family. I'm sorry, but here's the thing: Have you ever, in recent years? I mean, you've been a leader of a lot of people, a lot of personalities. They didn't all watch The Godfather. In all seriousness where your emotions got ahead of you and you did not handle things well because, quote, and I wrote this in my book, I did not manage my emotions and I created a much bigger problem than ever should have been. Yep. Still do it, yep, by exactly. the way, once in a while. Go ahead. I think an important aspect of leadership and maybe the most important is the ability to show restraint and to keep that in check. And... um you know, I remember again. Uh, I've I mentioned John a couple of times because he's been a great mentor. John's video, go ahead. Um, but John, um, 
you know, John and I were talking about a meeting I was going to have. I was pretty disappointed uh, with some, um, you, you know, with, with something that, that a couple of staff members uh, had done. And I went into a meeting saying, you know, I'm really disappointed. This upset me, blah, blah, blah. When we left, he said, um, you know, exactly that point. He said, you, you put your emotions in it. I said, well, I didn't raise my voice. It doesn't matter. You told him how you felt. It doesn't matter how, how you felt. He says, you're above that. You have to manage this. Take your emotion out of it. So next time you have that meeting, say, hey, this was not professional or this is not going to be tolerated or uh, this is unacceptable conduct um, and this is how it has to be fixed. You should never let them see that you sweat. Don't tell them that you're upset. Don't tell them that, you know, something they did bothered you. He says you're giving too much power up and as a leader, you need to take the emotion out. Phil, so can that, I sh- that blew my mind and that was great advice. It, me too. Can I share something with you? Sure. Mary Gamba just fell off the chair when you said that, <laughs> staring at me as she fell off the chair with you saying you have to, quote, take your emotions out of it. Mary, since your name is on the show, would you yes. like to share and respond to what Phil Alonji just said? No, I, I think it's interesting. And I think the part that made me fall off of my chair is just the <laughs> <laughs> envisioning Steve's, you know, uh, not showing emotion. Dispassionate. Dispassionate. Yes, exactly. Dispassionate. But, but no, but I, I hear what Phil is saying, and I think there is a lot of value to to it, which is simply this, that it, it's about, and you and I have this conversation all the time. All it's the time. About 19 the years thing, we've been having it. It's about the thing that went wrong. Take out everything Not else. Not about the Take person out, who did the thing? Right. Not always. It doesn't really? have to go personal. It doesn't have to go um, berating. It doesn't have to she go... She didn't respect me. I, I won't accept that. If I don't say it loud enough, they're not going to know how mad I am. Okay. And, I'm sorry. Yeah. We'll just play acting, Phil. Go ahead. Exactly. Yeah. Think, about when you're, think about when you're home, though, when you know, as a kid growing up. When, when was it most effective when... My when father's voice got really quiet. <laughs> yep. When he, when he walks in the room, looks at you, yeah, and that's walks it. out of the room and says, I'm dis-, you know. And, My and kids say it all the time. Last when, part, I'm disappointed, I'm disappointed in you. And again, that's emotion. Disengaged but... from the situation. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's different from a parent, obviously. But, um, right. but, but, it, there is... but you know, it's there's something to that. Uh, you know, and I show plenty of emotion here in the studio. Um, but I try to limit it to, you know, I'm proud of this or I'm happy about this. And, you know, I'm really excited about. But when it's negative, I try wow. not to make, because then it becomes about me. Right. And it's not about how I feel about this thing. It's, it's, it's not at all. You didn't do your job. So right. Phil, you didn't Phil, do your job. I got to push friend. back, Phil. I'm sorry. By the way, we're supposed to do five minutes with Phil. We're doing the whole show with him. Phil, here's <laughs> the thing. If I say to somebody on the team, you have a bigger team than we have, but the stakes are just as high. If I say to someone on the team, I'm disappointed in what you did here. I feel that you let us down and I, I, I and you're better than this. And I just want you to know that I feel like I've got – I don't want to go too deep into this, but I've let that person know that I'm – it's not about raising my voice anymore because I don't. No. And I'm not, not, it's not about me. It's about every other listener, every other person listening right now who's been in a leadership managerial position. Phil, how can you possibly say that if you've gone overboard for somebody, you've helped them, you've supported them, you've, you've, you've been there for them on every level you could, personal, professional, when they don't step up or they don't take responsibility – or they fall short and don't acknowledge it, that in some way, that none of that is personal, Phil Alonji? None of it? Of course it is. Of course it is. And of course you're going to feel it. I'm not saying don't feel it. I'm just saying, does it really help to articulate it? And can't you send that same message by taking out just the undisappointed part and say, hey, our job is this. This is our mission. And this is how we let our audience down today because you did X or you didn't do X. Um, that can't happen. And we're going to fix that. I mean, what's your intended outcome before you have the discussion? Is it to 
punish this person. Not is at it all. To make sure, right? It's not right. It's to get it right the next time. That's right. Right. Uh, so that you can you can effectively message that um, and play the high road and not um, not make it about you. It's not really about hey, I, someone that you don't want them to go home and have the message of I disappointed Steve today. You want them to go home with the message of or I didn't Phil do my or job, Mary or anyone and I let else. down the audience. Right. right. It's not about us. It's, wow. it's, it's, there's a bigger cause, especially public media. So, folks, listen, I want you to listen next week on AM 970 to the Leadership Hour with Phil Alonji and uh, Mary Gamba. Yes. Um, because, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm learning more from Phil than ever. This final, is great. Final question, Phil. Uh, you work in a bureau, uh, not a bureaucracy. You work in a large organization in the public broadcasting system. You are the boss of, you're the leader of what you do, but you do have other people you report to. That's not something that I'm used to, and I've never done well in that kind of situations. When I did, when I did work, uh, Mary, you may not know this, Phil, but I was fired by MSNBC. I was fired by uh, ABC, WABC TV in New York. Um, any others, Mary? No, I think that was it. But then you started your own company because you can't fire yourself. <laughs> yeah, I was That'd like, be a really short meeting. Some other places let me go. Just said, please don't come back. Um, I didn't Send do. Send me their work. emails too, Steve. When we're done. No, listen. I, I never did well. It's not about me, but I never did well in a large organization, so I created my own. How do you navigate, negotiate, and lead as well as you do in a place where, let's just say, there are layers? Yeah, uh, layers is a, is, is a diplomatic way I'm, to put I'm, it. It is. There are layers. Um, no, look, you know, there's um, – so I'm, I'm doing a, an executive ed program right now that's, that focuses on leadership. Yeah, tell folks what that is. Can you say that, Phil? Uh, can you say the name or sure. not? It's, uh, yeah, it's at the Harvard Kennedy School at the Shurenstein Center uh, for Media. And, oh, excuse um, me, Harvard. It's, it's did you on... say Harvard? <sighs> did you say you know, Harvard? Look, I've, I've been very self-conscious because – Did you, you say Harvard? It's like the Harvard, right? A, not yeah, like Harvard, I, Delaware. Yeah, the, I have a doctorate <laughs> from Rutgers University. Phil laughs at me. But go ahead, Phil. I have Pick a it up from there. in music and voice performance, and I've been very self-conscious. So now I could put Harvard next to it to show that I actually studied media as well. Go ahead, Mr. Um, Harvard. Pick it up from there. Right. So anyway, so there's, uh, you know, we <laughs> one of the techniques we learned is this power opinion matrix where you have, you know, high power and low power um, chart, and then you have a favorable, an unknown, um, an unfavorable and a waffler category, right? And and what we do is, I mean, now I'm really getting into the weeds, but you take your your you know, the people that are above you, the people that are um, at your level, the people under you, and you try to classify everybody for whatever particular task you're going towards, um, you know, and how, you know, are they, are they a high power person and where do they feel, where do they line up with what your mission is? Uh, and you don't start with the people that are in the unfavorable box because you're, you, you know, that's the difficult thing. You don't start swimming upstream. You start with the high power people that are favorable and on your side and you figure out how to get them, um, motivated uh, to help you with your tasks. Some of them is, hey, there's activities I need you to do. Some of it is, hey, you need to just champion this project and be my backup. But if the more people you move over to that favorable category, whether they're high power or low power, you start to empty out the boxes so that even if it is a high power person that's in that unfavorable category, when they're there as a lonely island, they move over, whether they wanted to or not, because you don't want to be the only person that's left behind. So, uh, you know, it's a great technique to look at you know, the infrastructure and the hierarchy of a company and start with the early wins, figure out which people um, are on board with you and build a coalition. And that's that's the best way to move forward. <sighs> uh, Phil, we're still here. 
But I got to tell you something. I'm starting to draw my boxes. Mary just started drawing a bunch of boxes, <laughs> and she put on the top, Phil Alonji, Harvard grad. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're in the favorable box. Phil's in the, hey, right. you know what? In our world, he's in a very favorable box. Hey, Phil, listen, we've been doing this for a couple of years now, and this is the first time that I can remember we had a guest that was supposed to be for a few minutes, and we literally had Phil for the entire show. And it was great. Better than great. Hey, oh, Phil, well, how was it for you, you my guys. friend? It was great. And I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, you know, I, I don't consider myself a seasoned leader. This is a new role for me, and I'm, I'm still feeling it out. I learn a little bit every day. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity to kind of share what, you know, the great teaching that I've, that I've gotten, pass it on. Hey, Phil, do you mind if we plug NJTV News? Tell folks how listening right now on the radio or on our podcast when they can catch NJTV News. I mean, we already have millions every night that watch, but I guess I can add a couple more people. Uh, we, uh, we're, we're on air and online on demand anytime, so you can catch us live um, every night at 6 o'clock on NJTV, uh, which is generally either channel 8 or 23, depending on your cable provider. But look at the, uh, the website, or it streams online as well at NJTVnews.org. Um, and exciting news, the last six months we've uh, joined forces with NJ Spotlight, which was the state's leading um, online public affairs and public policy websites. So we now have um, the largest contingent of reporters at the state house, and some really exciting stuff ahead. So, all thanks true. For the opportunity to plug it. And great leadership is also about partnering as well. By the way, Phil, uh, since you're um, the director of program development at NJTV, as I let you go, there is an extraordinary show on at 7 p.m. every night on NJTV that I've been hearing such amazing things about. Um, could you, before we let you go, what is that show and, and how how has it become the juggernaut that it is? You know the show? Yeah, it's a, the yeah, the Mary Gambit show, but I've only seen the substitute anchor. <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen Mary on in quite a while. Are you okay, Mary? Is everything I, all right? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying, trying to break through, Phil. Do you believe this? I'm I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm shamelessly there's, trying to get a plug. This, I know. Go yeah, ahead, you can hack get a plug. That's been filling in. No, in all seriousness, <laughs> I think his name is 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 uh, Raphael P. Roman. Oh, I think is, is the, that's what? it. That's it, my brother from another mother, Raphael Piramon, who you can catch every night on Metro Focus on NJTV, WLIW, and NJTV. Uh, listen, at 7 o'clock, I have to plug for myself. On NJTV, it's one-on-one -on -one with Steve, Steve Adubato. Steve Adubato. And, uh, yeah, and Phil, listen, in all seriousness, cannot thank you enough, not just for the time you have spent with us, the lessons we have learned from you, but just being a great partner. Thanks, Phil. Likewise. We're on the same team here. We, we appreciate the partnership. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Phil. Good stuff. Take care. Hey, Mary, how good was Phil? Oh, he's amazing. I think he was maybe our second guest that we've ever had on for the entire show. Who was the other? I'm pretty sure. I'm looking at Brian. I think there might have been one other one. I don't know. We started right at the top with Phil. No, he, no. We only got a minute left. I don't know. So then, no, he was the first. I think it was real quick uh, with a minute left. <sighs> no emotion, even if you feel it. Don't show it. Don't communicate it. We've talked about that forever, and I still stand by it. I agree with Phil that you can address a problem without being overly emotional. Of no, course he said don't be emotional. Don't be All right, and I will go as far as to say don't be emotional. When I address an issue as recently as this week, I had to sit an employee down, and we've talked about this a million times. You don't always know when this happens and address a specific issue. Meaning you don't issue. tell me every time it happens. Exactly. I don't tell you every time that it happens. And I addressed a very specific issue 
issue that was happening that was causing a disruption in the office. And I addressed it. I didn't bring a motion into it. And it went great. And it didn't have to be, a, you know, a lengthy email with you made me feel this or you, you know, I think that just getting to the point of what the it is, whether it's a problem or an issue, does not have to have tone, personal, just keep it just to the facts, in my opinion. Joe Friday, what did he say on Dragnet? Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts, just the ma'am. Facts. Yes. That's Mary Gamba, Just the Facts. Listen, I learned from Mary. I learned from Phil Alonji. I learned from the Leadership Hour. More importantly, I hope you learned as well. This is Steve Adubato with Mary Gamba and Brian Brondura and the team here at East Main Media. We've been doing this for a while, but that is one of the top three all-time Leadership Hour programs we've done. We want to thank Phil. Real quick, how can people catch our stuff, find our stuff? Oh, absolutely. On Facebook, at Steve Adubato, PhD, at Twitter, at Steve Adubato, and then also on our website, stand-deliver.com, and subscribe on Apple Podcast and on Google Play. That's it. No more plugging. Catch you next week on the Leadership Hour. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Roger Mashad. At Franklin Templeton Investments, we believe that citizens need to be informed about the resources that can help make higher education more affordable. That's why we're proud to support programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan, Turn a Dream into a Degree, the New Jersey Education Association, Community Food Bank of New Jersey, Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University. International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and by The Fidelco Group. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association, and by Tap Into TV. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We're coming to you from the Agnes Veras NJTV studio in Newark. We are pleased to welcome Dr. Aaron Fickner, who is president of New Jersey Council of County Colleges. Good to see you, doctor. Great to be here. Thank tell, you. Tell folks exactly what the council is. So the Council of County Colleges works to strengthen and support our 19 community colleges. We have 19 community colleges across our state that serve over 300,000 students a year. Uh, a great, important impact, and the purpose of the council is to support that effort, make sure mm -hmm. we've got the strongest community colleges we can have. You know, it's a state issue, but it's also a national issue, talking about community colleges. Um, there's a whole debate going on. We'll get you into a second about <clears throat> whether, in fact, community college should be free. We'll do that in a moment. But what is Vision 2028? So our college has been working together over the last 10 months to talk about what's the future look like. We know the world is changing dramatically. The needs of employers is changing. We, you know, jobs are being created, whole new occupations, new industries. We have to make sure that we're prepared for that. Uh, we have a strong uh, foundation to build on, but we need to make sure that we're on the cutting edge of our community colleges to make sure that we're there for the state for the long term and for our students. What needs to be changed about the community colleges in the uh, state in order to be there? 
Well, I think there's a number of things that we need to do and want to do. The first is we need to redouble our effort to build strong partnerships between high schools, community colleges, four-year colleges, and universities driven by the needs of employers in our key industries to make sure that students, no matter if they're a high school student or they're a returning adult, they've got a pathway to a credential or a degree that gets them a good job. I'm curious about this. We've had a lot of, we have a lot of collaborations, partnerships with institutions of higher learning on the four-year level. And, and there's a lot of talk about collaboration between two-year two institutions and four-year institutions. What is driving all this collaboration? When I, for years, I thought you were just competitors. You didn't want people going there. They didn't want people going there. But now you're collaborating, and someone goes to a two-year school, and then you're making it easier to go to a four-year school after they go to one of your places. How and why did that happen? Well, I think there's a realization that even though we have a very highly educated state on average, that we've got to do better. We've got to find ways to get more people a post-secondary education. So 52% of our adults in New Jersey have some education after high school. That's a pretty good number. We rank seventh in the country. Some education. Some education after a credential or a degree, right, after high school. But if you talk to labor economists, you talk to employers, I think there's a broad agreement that the path to a good family supporting income and career is some post-secondary education. It could be a credential that's valued by the employers. It could be a two-year degree, a four-year degree. The data is clear that people with some post-secondary education do better, can uh, provide for their families. And so the goal really is to get more people the opportunity to get that education. That's adults who may not have had that opportunity. It's high school students that are struggling to find a way to pay for college. Mm -hmm. So if we all work together, we're going to make New Jersey stronger. We're going to open up the doors of opportunity for more people. What's the deal with free tuition? First of all, where are we with it? Second of all, how much of it is the job of the council to make the case for it? Because there are some folks who say, great idea, but how the heck do we afford it? So good point. So Governor Murphy campaigned, as we all know, on the, the, the vision of free community college. Campaigning and government isn't always the same thing well, as you well that, know. That's true. <laughs> and uh, so we are uh, happy to report that this semester we've launched the pilot of the community college opportunity grant with funding from the state legislature and from the governor. So we are so serving. Is there an agreement on this? They're in agreement. Yeah. That we that's need nice to, to continue see that they're in to... agreement on something. <laughs> so, so they're in agreement on this. What exactly is it? This, uh, so currently the pilot is uh, for this spring, it is if you're in a household making less than $45,000 a year, that you will be able to go to community college for free. So a student would apply for other forms of financial aid, the state would pick up whatever else is remaining. So we have thousands of students this year in community colleges because of this program that are able to persist in college, to continue, and that's a great step. We're hopeful that the legislature and the governor will continue to invest and expand this program so that more people can take advantage community of the college, program. Sorry for we, we've talked to different community college presidents over the years. My wife came out of a community college and then went to a four-year school. We often talk about that. And I've said this on the air before, that, that she argues, and she's not alone. It's not about my wife, Jennifer. It's about so many other, countless thousands, millions of others across the state and nation. If it were not for that opportunity to go to a two-year school, they may never have had the opportunity to get a four-year degree. Is that a, an oversimplification? No, not at all. I mean, I think if you just spend any time with our students, you go to a community college graduation, it is inspiring. The opportunity that students have to start their careers and their post-secondary education <coughs> at a community college, opportunities that they may not have had somewhere else, or uh, the supports that you get at a community college, which I think are... Such as, name a couple. 
uh, mentoring, uh, student advising, the involvement of the faculty. The faculty, their job, they come to work every day to teach students. Um, they're not um, doing other things, so they're very student-centric. We have incredibly dedicated faculty not and staff. Not the same responsibility to do research? No. So Publish. our job is to, is to educate people and get them on a path to a better life and a better career, um, and we do that every day. Real quick, 65 by 25 is? So state has set an ambitious goal to increase the percentage of adults in our state that have a post-secondary credential or degree. So I said earlier, 52% is where we are now. Uh, we want to get to 65 by the year 2025. A lot of work to do to get people into post-secondary education so they can get a credential or a degree. This is about the wide variety of educational well, you keep opportunities. Saying a I'm sorry for interrupting, Doctor. A credential or a degree. What's so a credential is something that isn't a two-year degree or a four-year degree. It is um, credential for what? For an, for a job. So um, so for example, there are a whole wide variety of credentials. Whether you're going into advanced manufacturing and you want a metalworking credential, or you're going into any number of other healthcare occupations that may not require a two-year degree, there are a lot of credentials that people can earn. That when you go on the labor market, an employer will say, "Yes, I will hire you because you have shown through this earning of this credential sure. that you can." You can it do any value. number of things. It has value, right? And it's less than a two-year degree or a four-year degree, but also can be integrated. So I think more people need to learn and earn credentials while they're in community college and four-year programs so they've got the degree and something that's recognized by Dr. employers. Throughout this interview, we've been putting up the website. Put it up one more time for the Council of Community Colleges. If you want to find out more, that's on you. Do it because they're there. And How many again? 20? Is it 19? 19 community 19. colleges. Out of 21 counties. Correct. This is Dr. Aaron Fickner, President of the New Jersey Council of Community Colleges. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you very much. Well done. Stay right there. Thank this you. is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Steve Adubato, uh, more importantly, we are here at the annual reentry conference. This is held by the New, Jer New Jersey Reentry Corporation. It's called The Road to Salvation from Addiction to Employment. We're in Jersey City at St. Peter's University. There are several folks that are here today, prominent folks, important folks, people who care deeply about um, reentry of those who have been in prison and the question of addiction. And one of those folks is with us right now. We've had the honor of interviewing the first lady of the great state of New Jersey many times, Tammy Schneider Murphy. Good to see you. Good to see you too. You just spoke at this conference. Opening remarks, main message was and is? Uh, essentially that we, it's a, it's a moral um, obligation to fix um, our racial disparity in our state, and particularly racial disparity as um, with respect to incarceration and, uh, for me, um, infant and maternal mortality, which is connected. Do you think most folks um, understand the severity of this problem unless they are experiencing it themselves? I do not think most folks pay attention, honestly, sadly, uh, which is hard to fathom. We have the highest rate of incarceration in the country. We New Jersey does. New Jersey. 41,000 people in New Jersey are incarcerated right now. 10,000 of those people will be uh, let out of jail this year. And of those 10,000 who are let out, uh, you will find that 50% of them are going to be 
rearrested, and 30% of them are going to go back to jail. Mm. Um, you know, if, if you look at the fact that it costs uh, $54,000 a year per person to keep someone incarcerated versus what Jim McGreevy's doing at $2,200 to help people re-enter society, it's a no-brainer. We have to fix this. We can fix it. A very serious discussion, but the addiction part of it, talk to us about that. Um, you've got the incarceration issue complicated by the opioid crisis, the addiction crisis, makes it even harder to re-enter, find employment, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's no question. I mean, I look at this almost exclusively through the lens of infant and maternal um, health outcomes. A big focus um, of yours. A big focus of mine. And, uh, you know, there's no question that there is um, systemic racism in our society. It's been there for a long time, and that is the that is the biggest problem that we have um, with these mortality and, and um, the recidivism rates. Um, you know, when I look at the opioid crisis that you're mm -hmm. talking about, I think uh, about the fact that every 25 minutes across the United States, a child is born with neonatal absence syndrome. That means that a child is born addicted to drugs every 25 minutes across our country. And that baby has to go through withdrawal in the first moments of its life. Talk about adverse childhood experiences, Talk about otherwise it. known as ACEs, which you and I talked about in yes. Princeton a few months back. How adverse is that experience? It's terrible. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think that, says, that speaks volumes. And what's our responsibility there? Uh, not just as, as a government, as a state government, as a federal government, but as, as a people, as a society. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility, our moral obligation, is to address this head on and not assume that because someone is addicted that, you know, that they need to be incarcerated and they, they don't need help. Um, could you tell us about the Nurture NJ initiative? I know this is, there are multiple agencies involved. It's very much committed to New Jersey women and children. Talk about it. Okay, so really quickly, um, just 30 seconds on background. Uh, back when Phil came into office um, 15 months ago, we found out that New Jersey ranks 45th out of 50th in the nation in terms of maternal mortality. When you dig down into that, you find out that it's not just maternal mortality. It, there is a vast disparity, ethnic disparity, and 60% of the women who, are, um, who die due to pregnancy complications are women of color. 50, nearly 50% are black women and about 15% are Latina. Mm. So um, understanding that um, tells you that we have problems not just with the health outcomes, which I had initially assumed. So when we started out, we had two cabinet members who were involved in trying to help us come, you know, fix the, the scourge in our in our state. And we now today have 14 cabinet members who are involved. involved? 14. And that tells you that this is this is um, everything from transportation, uh, child care, education, Reentry, opioid addiction. I mean, it literally touches everything because you've got agriculture there next to Department of Banking and Insurance. You've got um, health. You know, excuse me for interrupting. Health. By the way, we're going to put up our website from right from the start. Sure. NJ, which we've talked to the first lady about before. It, the, the Department of Health. It seems logical to me, but now you're talking about the de Department of Insurance and Bank. Sure. So how so? So I, I sped through that, but I, I will tell you. First of all, I had assumed naively that it was only to do with health disparities. That's what I, I thought. I assumed that it was access to health care either before delivery or postpartum. It turns out that it is. It is just so many different. Um, 
problems across society. And like I was saying, so um, it's 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 lack of insurance. That's why that's why Adobe is involved. It is Department of Banking and Insurance. Exactly, Department of Banking and Insurance is involved because right. people don't have access to insurance. Why agriculture? Um, agriculture is involved because people don't have access to food. Wow. Um, environmental protection is involved because we have lead in the water or we have high rates of asthma in, in cities like Newark. So everybody is coming together and that's the beauty of it because initially I think everyone was in their own silo and no one really thought about what, what you know, they were doing here was impacting someone over there. And now everybody, it's all hands on deck. And that is in fact uh, Nurture NJ, right? So Nurture NJ is taking everything we did last year and putting it under one umbrella and as we go forward, it includes also the Family Festival Series, which is, I could spend another half hour telling you about that, but it's Family Festival Series, which targets um, cities that have high rates of infant and maternal mortality or preterm births or things like that, where we go in and kind of provide a one-stop shop. But it's gonna have the Family Festival Series. It's, every, it's all the work that's going on within the administration. It's all the stakeholders who are outside who are collaborating with us. It's the annual summit that we hold um, to try and come up with short, medium, and long-term uh, solutions. And it's a big social media campaign to try and get the word out, which is where you started. First Lady of the great state of New Jersey, uh, Tammy Snyder Murphy, has joined us many times, but once again here at St. Peter's University in Jersey City for this Rianchi conference. She joined us to talk about a whole range of other important issues, and once again, you honor us by being with us. Thanks, Steve. All the best. Okay, thanks. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at steveadubato. We're pleased to be joined by Micheline Davis, who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Corporate Affairs Officer, RWJ Barnabas Health. Good to see you. Good to see you. Let me disclose that you are a trustee of the Caucus Educational Corporation, and your organization is a significant supporter of public broadcasting. Indeed. So many times you've been with us in the past, we've talked about a whole range of issues, particularly affecting people who are economically challenged, people of color, a whole range of issues, socioeconomic issues tied to health care. Mm -hmm. ALICE stands for? Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. What is and why should we all care deeply about this, Micheline? Because ALICE's experience really does impact us all. So the reason why the United Way came up with ALICE as the moniker, most individuals refer to this population of vulnerable citizens as the working poor, is because we wanted to make certain that they had a, a, a clear picture of the fact that ALICE is everywhere. She pours your coffee in the morning, she serves your breakfast, she takes your toll as you're on your way here. ALICE is all around us, and it is time that we see her. What price do we pay if we don't pay enough attention to the needs of Alice? How does it affect the rest of us who don't fall into that category because we're fortunate? Well, so I will utilize the example of healthcare. If, in fact, we are not giving a good opportunity to ensuring that Alice is somewhere in uh, one job, um, literally making a livable wage, rather than in two or three roles where, quite frankly, she has no coverage um, and without proper benefits, then what happens is the fact that between her 
first, second, and third job. Um, she puts off that doctor's appointment, right? She puts off that preventable care visit. As a result, by the time Alice finally has to make the time in her schedule in order to come and see us, she is already at stage four of this chronic disease. So she comes in through our most expensive door, through our emergency room. And she's already presenting at such a chronic place, such an incredibly um, uh, bad stage of her disease, that all we can do is literally provide the most expensive care, mm. right, in order to manage this emergency issue, which, Steve, could have all been prevented had we, in fact, been certain that Alice had a, a, an equitable opportunity to make certain that she could build some community wealth and literally manage mm. The demands on her life. You know, it's so fascinating to me, Micheline. I've, I've moderated a fair number of healthcare forums, including within your organization. And one of the issues that keeps coming up is the social determinants of health. It, first of all, what are they, and are they connected to Alice? Oh, absolutely. So, what, what are they? So, Steve, the social determinants of health are literally those things that, that occur outside of a clinical setting. So, I like to say that it is really the aspect of what makes up your life, right? So, it is where you live, um, whether or not you have access to healthy, affordable, um, uh, uh, good fruit and produce. Transportation? Oh, transportation is undoubtedly Big deal. a social determinant of health. Absolutely. Individuals so often uh, neglect to recall the fact that everyone in the Great Garden State does not have a vehicle. Um, and despite the fact that our railways um, and our byways really give us a great opportunity to get into and out of the state, traversing through is still pretty difficult. And so the, the truth of the matter is that the social determinants of health really deal with everything outside of that, right? Do you, in fact, live in safe and secure, uh, affordable housing, right? Or are you spending upwards of, uh, as we do in the state of New Jersey, um, between 50 and 70 percent of an income, um, when really the national average is around 35 percent? Um, are you, in fact, spending too much of what should be disposable income on literally just having a place to habitate? And in uh, terms of the impact on health is? Well, what we know is that uh, a housing-first model works, right? So. Evidence shows us that um, housing is a real indicator of health outcome, um, but so is having a livable wage. Uh, it is an incredibly important aspect of ensuring that we are literally pushing back the tide of healthcare disparities and actually arriving at a firm How? location. How do you push back Oh, on my that? goodness. You, you do it by making certain that I am not just treating uh, the disease that you present with when you come into my office and hop up on the table. Is now fee-for-services? That is you come in, you got this, we, we deal with it as best we can, Absolutely. and you pay the bill or Absolutely. some combination of government, uh, health care, excuse me, health Does insurance companies. Absolutely. Well, well, then how's this different? Well, because the, it just the, sounds like a different model. But the industry is traveling towards a different model, right? We are headed towards value-based care. Um, we are headed in that direction anyway. And so what RWJ Barnabas has decided to do, and our incredible visionary of a CEO, Barry Ostrowski, is to ensure that we not wait for the rest of the world to catch up. Rather, um, we want to make certain that we are making a firm, declarative commitment to utilizing our anchor mission, which is really our place-based presence, in any of the locations where we are facilitated in order to ensure that we are bringing about the tide that is supposed to be lifting all ships. But what we have found is that historically they haven't, and they won't without intentionality about ensuring that we are attaching to the most vulnerable, to the Alice's, both mm. inside and outside of our walls. You know, it's interesting. Different terms are used, uh, and social impact is a word that comes up a lot. Yeah. Actually, at our Dr. Martin, the Dr. Martin Luther King Annual Award that our Stand and Deliver program 
um, bestows on different organizations and individuals that make an impact. Your, that team, that social impact team, was recognized. And in the spirit of Dr. King, be the change, yeah. if you will. Here's my question. What is social, you get a lot of the phrases here, <laughs> social impact, social determinants of health, help us navigate that. Yeah. Social impact in what way? So um, the way in which we um, literally uh, seek to implore social impact is to ensure that we are um, again, taking a look at, right, so what are the systems and structures that have brought about the inequity that we currently see? And what do inequity. we need to... Inequity, meaning that, um, so things are not just unequal, they are literally inequitable, right? So um, lots of folks believe that the answer to something that is uh, um, uh, lacking uh, inequality is literally to merely level the playing field. But that is not enough, Steve. It is not enough. Because? It is not enough when we take a look at the data around, quite frankly, the um, disparities which continue to exist. So as the health outcomes of the general population have gotten better, the health outcomes of particular segments of vulnerable populations has actually gotten worse. So we've widened the gap in reference to um, everyone's ability to literally grow up to be healthy and strong, right? That's not what we want. Well, excuse me, start from Drebin starts right from the beginning. Our series, right from the start, and Jay looks at zero to three infants and toddlers, childcare. Is it not a fact that, that, that black mothers are, are more likely to lose a child um, in childbirth than white mothers? Uh, it is a fact, but even more than that, it is also a fact that in the state of New Jersey, uh, African-American women um, are five times as likely as our white counterparts to lose, to, to literally, um, unfortunately, lose their life. Well, listen, you, I saw you cringe just now. Um, in New York, it is 12 times as much as our white counterparts. Now, this is what I want to make certain that people do not walk away from this opportunity believing, that in some way that these women have decided, oh, I know what I'll do today, I'll die today. That is not what happens. What is that? Rather, it is a combination of both, yes, indeed, the social determinants of health, meaning um, where we live. Um, so as you know, uh, here, Here's the issue, Steve. Um, redlining has been real mm -hmm. in this state and the rest of this country, right? The lines on those maps were really red. Redlining. Well, go, go, go Google redlining. It's so, a history in our country. Here, here. So as a result, what we know is that wherever there is, um, um, uh, quite frankly, poverty in greatest concentration, we tend to see these bad uh, health outcomes. But as you know, redlining meant that no matter how much I could afford, I was only You're not living in that neighborhood. You got it. To live within a certain Keep you footprint. out. And what else was in that? traditional footprint, were also the environmental pollutants that everyone else around in more suburban areas had said, NIMBY, not in my backyard. Not in my backyard. You got it. But so then who got left behind? By the way, a few seconds left, who got left behind? Um, so traditionally, um, the most vulnerable, right? Um, the Alice's of the population. It's important to note as well that Alice literally means that they may be above the federal poverty level, right? Which means that she cannot attach to any government subsidy. And unfortunately, she is still having difficulty making ends meet. A lot for us to think about, and in a few seconds left, I just want to say this, I'm not going to editorialize, but it seems to me that when people say things like, I'm good, mm. my family's good, we have insurance, that's not my problem, it's everyone's problem, it's everyone's responsibility, and by the way, if that's editorial on public broadcasting, I'm sorry, but <laughs> it is what it is. This is Micheline Davis, Executive Vice President, Chief Corporate Affairs Officer, RWJ Barnabas Health. Um, thank you, Micheline, for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well done. Uh, this is State of Affairs. We're coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, at Steve Adubato. You get all the rest. We'll see you next time.
State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. N.J. Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan, the New Jersey Education Association, Community Food Bank of New Jersey, Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and by the Fidelco Group. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and by Tap Into TV. Look around. One in seven New Jersey children goes hungry every day. Hunger is everywhere right here where we live, and it doesn't look like you think. Help the Community Food Bank of New Jersey feed our hungry neighbors. Do you make decisions, do I eat or do I get my medicine? Do I eat or do I pay my rent? You got people making decisions like this each and every day, juggling their finances. How are they going to pay a bill here? Do I pay my car note or do I eat?